Welcome to Talk Nation Radio, a half-hour discussion of politics as if the people mattered. I'm David Swanson. It is my great privilege to welcome to Talk Nation Radio this week, Jonathan Latham. He is the co-founder and executive director of the Bioscience Resource Project and the editor of Independent Science News. Dr. Latham holds a master's in crop genetics and a PhD in virology. He was subsequently a postdoctoral research associate in the Department of Genetics, University of Wisconsin-Madison. He has published scientific papers in disciplines as diverse as plant ecology, plant virology, genetics, and genetic engineering. Dr. Latham is also the director of the Poison Papers Project, which publicizes documents of the chemical industry and its regulators. Jonathan Latham, welcome to Talk Nation Radio. Hi there, David. Hi. Uh, so I read this article that you published recently called the, the Gates Foundation Hired PR Firm to Manipulate the UN Over Gene Drives. I, I, I think Americans are all familiar with what manipulate the UN means, but what is a gene drive? So, well, a gene drive is basically where you insert a foreign piece of DNA into an organism that, uh, that essentially causes that organism to fail to reproduce or to die. And so the idea is that these gene drives will spread through population and uh, basically cause those populations to die out. And so, you know, the molecular biology of this is quite complicated, but the idea is that uh, some people call it an extinction technology. And the idea is that you put it into something like uh, malarial mosquitoes, or you put it into ticks, or you put it into mice or rats that are eating that are eating uh, birds on islands, when, when which basically are not supposed to be there. They're basically invasive species uh, in in the case of rats or mice, and uh, you can drive those populations extinct. And at the moment, that is a theoretical possibility. It's not actually a reality. And so, what's interesting about this this these new developments is that. The Gates Foundation would like to pave the way for that, and others too, the military, DARPA, uh, but would like to pave the way for that kind of technology. But before they do that, they have to you know, avoid things like you know, having a moratorium at the United Nations. You mentioned the military and you mentioned DARPA. These are the people who tried to create mechanical killer elephants and telepathic warfare and so forth. Uh, I mean, is this is this comedy or is it serious? And, and what's the military connection to it? Well, they they put $100 million into it, you know, so they think it's pretty serious. And, you know, I personally have doubts as to whether this technology will work. But, you know, predictions are not really of much use at this point. You know what I mean? Somebody may come up with a brilliant idea that will cause for this technology to really, really take off. And so, so but they, you know, DARPA, DARPA's professed reason for, for investing $100 million is that uh, some other technology, some other company, country rather, like, you know, Vladimir Putin's Russia or or China will develop, or North Korea will develop this kind of technology, and and the U.S. will be defenseless. So that is their professed reason for investing all this money. But, but the reality seems to be that if they didn't invest all that money, the thing probably wouldn't exist in the first place. Defenseless against what? Defenseless against the use of this against our uh, American rats and mosquitoes, or against <laughs> against human beings? Yeah. 
Well, you know, this technology, uh, you have to acquire it from your parents, right? You can't, uh, you basically cannot, it's not, it's not something that will be used against, um, uh, against people because uh, it's a genetic technology. So it can only pass through the population by, by reproduction. So in a long-lasting population like humans, it is not really, we're not really talking about that kind of scenario. What we're talking about is populations that breed very quickly. So the idea is that you take, you basically could take one individual, and that one individual, I should have explained this at the beginning, uh, that one individual, for example, it might escape from the lab, or you might put it into the population, and basically it reproduces, and all the offspring carry the trait, right, that you've given that, uh, that organism, and then when they reproduce, all the offspring carry that trait. And when they reproduce, all those offspring carry that trait. And the idea is that they die soon after, or they, or they um, basically, uh, you know, they, they, those organisms will will basically not not survive well, but nevertheless, the gene will spread. It's kind of paradoxical, so so it's a little bit hard to explain. But but the idea is that this is kind of like giving putting putting a suicide gene into the whole population. And, and I mean, I've been to Cuba where they have a museum of, you know, U.S. imperialism and uh, yeah. exhibits on how the Americans poisoned the pigs and the livestock. I mean, is, yeah. is, that, yeah. is that the idea, to be able to destroy someone's livestock? Or what is, what is it that... Well, you know, the, you know this, this is all... It's all rank speculation at this point, right? I mean, you can imagine... Uh, it could potentially, for example, be used, you know, the closer it would come to be used against people that I can think of is it could be used against your gut microbes, for example, because in order for you to survive, you need your gut microbes to survive. So it could be used against your gut microbes. Uh, you know, many of the useful uses of it are, are ideas like, you know, potentially useful, because potential is a big part of this conversation here, is things like mosquitoes, where there's six generations per year. And so, so in that case, you can, a single genetic trait that multiplies through the population can spread from one individual to infect all the mosquitoes in Africa within two years or three years. That, that is the idea of it. And so, you know, potentially as a military uh, technology, it could be used, for example, to, to make a pathogen that, that essentially became more, uh, more effective against crops, for example. This is the, the kind of thing that the military is talking about. And, you know, in those capacities, right, in all those capacities, it's not actually a military technology. It's basically an anti-civilian technology, right? You're basically trying to starve people or poison them or, or create some kind of deleterious effect on the natural world that will disable that society and the military considers that its job, its job is to defend against things like that. And when you suggest that it could be used against a human's gut microbes, what would yeah. be the what would be the the avenue and the speed of reproduction uh, with that? Well, the micro, I mean, a gut microbe. You know, the fastest bacteria reproduce in about twenty minutes, and slower ones in in an hour or so. So your gut gut. Uh, you gut my, microflora reproduces itself, you know, every day, basically. But in terms of passage from one human to another, would that mm -hmm. would that be relevant? 
Well, you you know you won't imagine that the you know North Koreans can put it into the food supply or mix it in with the the you know put it in pig food or something like that, and it would spread to the general population. So the the idea of these things is that that this the gene that is going to cause all this trouble is going to basically um, uh, spread wherever organisms can spread. Uh, Jonathan Latham, uh, the, the the U.S. military always talks about inventing these horrible things in order to counter their invention by someone else. Uh, but, yeah. but doesn't most of the world view, or at least claim to view, uh, biological weapons as well as chemical weapons as illegal? Uh, yes, but I mean, the the, uh, the U.S. is, uh, you know, probably the biggest user, has been historically the biggest single user of chemical weapons. I mean, think about Vietnam, right? Indeed. Uh, and to this day, uh, it, it, depending on, on what you count as a chemical weapon, uh, continues mm -hmm. to use types of napalm and white phosphorus uh, yep. and so forth. Um, yep. I, I, I wonder if you're familiar, uh, to go off topic slightly a, a second, I had a guest on this program who has looked closely into uh, U.S. development of insects and feathers uh, injected with uh, everything from anthrax to bubonic plague uh, mm -hmm. supposedly dropped on North Korea during the Korean War um, mm. and uh, and the development of you know insects like ticks injected mm -hmm. with disease uh, at this lab on Plum Island off Long Island New York mm -hmm. uh, the supposed origin of the of the spread of, of Lyme disease um, mm -hmm. are, are you familiar with these concerns? Well, I know, you know, I know bits and bobs about these things, and I live next door to a level four biosecurity lab. Lucky me. Where, where is that? Uh, Cornell University. Oh, geez. Um, so, so who are, who are the, the opponents uh, of the of the push by the Gates Foundation and uh, and the military uh, on this gene drive technology? Is there an organized opposition? Well, I would say there's a disorganized opposition. <laughs> I mean, the you know most people are just taken by surprise by this technology. You know, no one no one really sees that it's going to be uh, a wonderful uh, thing to use against invasive species. And so there are you know governments and especially in the developing world who don't see uh, eye to eye with the U.S. government, for example, who don't. Uh, you know, would not like to see these technologies develop and can only see uh, two things happening. One is them getting into the wrong hands and being used by, uh, you know, people either terrorists or the U.S. military. Either one is, is not so great at this point or being used in civilian uses, for example, against mosquitoes and then escaping into, the, into a broader population. And the, the basic concern there is that, that Imagine you put one of these gene drives into a certain species. Well, well, those species often uh, intermix with other species. You know, most species are not genetically, perfectly genetically isolated. So the one concern would be the gene drive would get into another species of mosquito, and then from that species of mosquito will get into another one, and then from that species of mosquito will get into another one, and all of a sudden you've got this gene drive basically operating in all these different species of mosquito when, you know, you imagined that it was going to be 
isolated to the one species that you were con concerned about. And then this has ecological consequences, right? We do not live in a linear world. When it comes to, to genetics and biotechnology, there's, you know, there's a whole ton of precedent for unexpected effects. And, and that is a huge concern. And these are so, so people who are concerned about biosafety, biosecurity issues, uh, they're concerned too. You know, there are, there are specialist NGOs, and, but also, you know, these views are shared by, by national governments in many cases. It, it does seem like a little humility would be in order given past experience uh, of attempting to control parts of the world that are not fully understood uh, with human technology. Um, it, it's, it, is anybody proposing uh, standards or a ban or enforcement of existing uh, treaties to prevent this? Yeah, what is yeah. the mechanism? Well, the, the, pro the problem is there barely are existing treaties, right? Because most of the treaties that we have cover things like the agricultural use of biotechnology. You know, the the meeting in Montreal that the Gates Foundation manipulation is aimed at controlling is uh, is essentially brought out of a treaty, the Convention on Biological Diversity, that is aimed to to partly to protect the natural world, but also to 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 regulate the use of GMOs in agriculture. And in that case, you're altering basically GMOs in agriculture means you're genetically engineering corn or soybeans or eggplant or tomatoes or what have you, and we don't really have the, the, um, the legal infrastructure, for example, or the scientific understanding to regulate these GMOs. Because for it, think about these GMOs. I mean, you know, even more so than in agriculture, if, you, if a country decides that they want to use gene drives against the mosquitoes in their country, uh, well, there's nothing in the world to stop those mosquitoes spreading to other countries, these genetically modified organisms basically spreading to other countries where if there are, if there are side effects and downsides, those will be manifested presumably as much or possibly worse than the, comp than the country for which the, the intervention was designed. So, so there's many, many issues that come out of all this that, you know, essentially are are boggling. You know, it's boggling to many ordinary, sensible people, including myself, why anybody would, would want to, to do anything more than some kind of mathematical research into these things. There is no, there is no reason to, for the Gates Foundation to put $50 million into this for malaria research, for, the, for, the, for DARPA to put $100 million into, and, and into it, and for other foundations, there's one called the Open Foundation that so have just put twenty million dollars into it. I mean, mind-boggling sums of money are going into this. That that heaven knows where it will lead, basically. It, it, but it, it could be done with. I mean, apart from finding the political will, there could mm. be new legislation, new international agreement that that simply banned this, uh, mm. even, you know, with the intention of keeping it within one country or one territory. Uh, I mean, it could be. Yep. So, it, so I didn't, you know, thank you for reminding me, I didn't pro pro uh, properly answer your question. So, so there is a, you know, at the last UN meeting on this subject, a moratorium was proposed, right? Just a moratorium of, on, on research and, and uh, releases. And essentially, that this UN 
intervention by the Gates Foundation. And this PR company was essentially, uh, the purpose of it was to stymie this moratorium call, right? So basically, they, 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 they employed this PR company as soon as the moratorium idea came out. And I actually wrote an article about uh, around that time, which is basically arguing that there should be a complete ban on this technology. I would go further than a moratorium for the simple reason that, uh, and my argument for, in this whole article was based around this. It was basically the idea that there is no way to test this technology except in the real world, right? And if you have a technology that can only be tested in the real world, in other words, any lab scenario, modeling, so on and so forth, is going to be completely useless for predicting what will happen when you actually release the mosquito into the wild. That we cannot afford technologies like that. Right? Every technology that has been successful in the world has basically been tested on an ongoing basis. Right? We fly in planes because we have a, a huge history of positive experiences of flying in planes based on a lot of plane crashes, right? So, you know, going back to the origins of the Wright brothers and so on and so forth, they, we've been collecting data, we've been investigating crashes, we've been working out, you know, that you need to do things like you need to ground the fuel in the petrol tank. We have worked out a thousand and one little safety features that are incorporated into airline technology and planes that allow planes to fly routinely and safely. And this technology is the exact opposite to that. It's like a technology that you can only, you can only basically you wing it, right? And it's, well, the world does not need these kinds of technologies. And it's not even necessary anyway. So, so I mean, well, that, well, that was my, the logic to that. And well, so I think they should go further than the ban, but, but the, than the moratorium. But there is a moratorium on the table. And, and the last meeting, it was rejected. But I'm hoping... Maybe a different result will will uh, apply this time. And, and there's another meeting coming up. Yeah, the the meeting actually started uh, yesterday, Tuesday. Are we still? Yes, we're. Yeah. And yeah, so uh, the fourth, the fifth. Sorry, the meeting yeah. started on the fifth of December. And and but in turn, what has been done in a laboratory, uh, and and why is it impossible to extrapolate it all from there to to the real world? So, well, uh, what's been done in the laboratory is mathematical modeling. What's been done is, is to investigate the, uh, how these technologies might work in, in uh, small-scale situations. So gene drive technologies. I mean, you know, the, the, part of the answer to this question is we don't know because people aren't very public about what, what they're doing. But people have attempted to put gene drives into mosquitoes, for example. And so, so these are mosquitoes that could, in fact, escape from those labs. And, you know, if, if the technology works as the, the developers hope, one single mosquito escaping has the potential to drive all other, you know, mosquitoes of that species and, and as I said, maybe other species extinct. So, so these, you know, the experiments have been tried on a very small scale. And, uh, you know, with mixed success, it has to be said. Uh, we're speaking with Jonathan Latham, who is the co-founder and executive director of the Bioscience Resource Project. Uh, so what, who is this, this PR firm that the Gates Foundation hired, and, and how were they, in particular, to manipulate 
the yep. the UN. Yeah. So this uh, this this uh, PR firm is one. You know, one of the things that's interesting about this is the Gates Foundation. You know, presents itself as a neutral proponent of scientific excellence and so on and so forth. But the PR firm that they hired uh, is closely linked to the biotech industry, right? And the, the, the CEO of this company, which is called Emerging Ag, is uh, somebody called Robin Anderson, who was uh, basically the, the CEO of uh, CropLife International, which is uh, the biotech industry's kind of international lobbying arm. So this is a company that's very closely tied to the biotech industry, and it, um, and it essentially is clearly attempting to undermine the ban. And, um, and so, so, they, um, so what's interesting is that these people are tied into all kinds of other uh, biotech agendas, for example, synthetic biology. Right? This is another biotech agenda that uh, is also being funded by the military for the, for the most part. And, uh, but these things go together, right? The approval of GMOs, in their minds at least, the approval of synthetic biology, the approval of GMOs, the approval of gene drive technologies. There's no such thing as a bad technology as far as these people are concerned. And so, you know, and they're presenting themselves as just bringing science to bear. But that's not actually what's going on. They're recruiting academics. And those academics are basically uh, are only speaking from one side of the discussion, and that is basically to remove remove any bans, reduce any uh, controls on these technologies. And you characterize this as manipulation because they're they're trying to sort of quietly and covertly stack the stack the deck uh, with people. That's right. Who this is not being done in public, right? So this is you know the idea of the UN process is that, A, it's democratic, right? Everybody gets their own say more or less equally, and the idea is that everybody is, you know, different governments, different professions are allowed to come to the table. That is part of it. And, um, and the other part of it is that it is independently scientific. So the idea is that, that you bring expertise without an agenda. And these are experts with an agenda who are attempting to swamp the discussion. Uh. If people if people want to learn more and if people want to weigh in in favor of a moratorium or a ban, uh, mm. how do you recommend they do that? Uh, well, it's not so easy. There is a you know if you follow the links on the website, there are ways uh, to get involved in the in the discussion. But the there is a sort of gatekeeping function that the UN has on on um, on the the this on this discussion group. And I don't know if the discussion group will be ongoing at this point. I think there's a large likelihood that, um, that uh, this, this discussion will be curtailed. And, uh, and so, you know, basically it will, it will end. And, uh, you know, the proper vehicle, right, for, the, for bringing your views to bear is actually via the U.S. government, right? The USDA is involved in some of these discussions and uh, but the problem with the U.S. The U.S. government is it speaking as as if the only constituency that it has is the um, uh, is, uh, is the biotech industry. So there is no moderating force present there that I can detect at least. So basically, the way this 
uh, international discussion has panned out is it's basically the U.S., the U.K., the gate, you know, through the Gates Foundation, through DARPA, uh, and uh, the governments of Australia and New Zealand, uh, and uh, a small number of other governments are basically ganged up together to try to derail the discussion. So, you know, essentially, as a U.S. citizen, you have very little input into this conversation. Well, we will put up at uh, talknationradio.org any links uh, you send us, uh, or feel free to tell people now a, a web address they can go to to try yeah. to weigh in. But what, are, are, are the rest of the world's governments that you didn't name uh, yeah. better on this, or are they? Uh, many, many of them are much better. You know, some of them, I would say, are, are heavily opposed to these technologies. They see only risks in them. But, you know, the way it works at the United Nations is that uh, companies, uh, c- countries rather, are bribed often to, for their votes. Right? So, so the U.S., you know, the U.S. is the richest country. And it has all these, uh, you know, kind of pawns to who, who it operates through. And, uh, and so there are often there are smaller governments, for example, that make crucial interventions in these UN processes who are against the, the interests of their own people. And, you know, what everybody thinks is that the U.S. has essentially bought their vote and, you know, caused them for a relatively small bribe of some aid or something like that to vote in a certain direction. And so, uh, so you know, not everybody votes according to transparent transparent and rational reasons. And so, so this is a, it's kind of an interesting uh, subject to look into. And, uh, you know, the website, the organization to be best informed about this is called the ETC Group, and they're based in Canada. So it's just letter E, letter T, letter C. And they're long-time uh, uh, people. They, they supervise the, the, um, the release of these FOIA documents that, that basically show all this covert uh, interest in the UN. And so they are, they're long-term uh, campaigners around this issue, as well as, in general, issues that to do with science, agriculture, and power. You know, we, we've got just a couple minutes left, Jonathan Latham. The, the U.S. military gets around a trillion dollars a year through various mm. departments, and we're, we're, we're not usually supposed to think of that as money for uh, technologies to cause species to go extinct, other than, you know, through yeah. nu- nuclear apocalypse. Uh, and we're supposed to think of it as all for bullets for poor, uh, mistreated, mm-hmm. unarmed troops who will otherwise die without more bullets. And so, uh, is, is is making this part of the agenda of, of peace organizations uh, a, a way to, to build more support uh, for a moratorium or a ban? Well, there, there, is, there is a need for more support. And, uh, you know, it could be that there are peace organizations that would, uh, that would be good allies. I mean, I'm not a campaigner. I write articles and expose information and hope people will make use of it. And I will send you those links. But... Um, but so, so your, your idea is a good one, and I don't know whether they are uh, uh, resourced enough. You know, a lot, a lot of the issue is that the, the ETC group has a very small staff, right? And they're hard-pressed on all these different issues of GMOs and synthetic biology and, and all kinds of um, new technologies creeping into the food supply, nanotechnology. All these things are being imposed and, and uh, um, 
put into, added to as kind of, you know, but secret agendas and secret ingredients and so on and so forth, they are right. hard pressed to, uh, to, to respond in this kind of strategic way, I would say. We've been speaking with Jonathan Latham. You can go to poisonpapers.org and independentsciencenews.org and we'll have links up at talknationradio.org. Jonathan, thanks very much for coming on Talk Nation Radio. Thank you for inviting me. This is Talk Nation Radio. I'm David Swanson. Take action at rootsaction.org. Help end war at worldbeyondwar.org. All past shows can be heard at davidswanson.org. Talk Nation Radio is produced in Charlottesville, Virginia, and syndicated by Pacifica Network. If you are listening to a nonprofit station, please support that station. Talk Nation Radio is funded by contributors at davidswanson.org. There is no way to peace. Peace is the way. Until next time.